watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movies. I'm Jason LeBroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte. And today we have four movies for you. Bros, Blonde, Hocus Pocus 2, and Catherine Called Birdie. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that mess! That mess. What a mess it is. Jason, what is up with you, friend? Just being messy. Just being real mm. messy myself. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, guys, We uh, Rebecca and I are back after taking the month of September off in what was, again, a scheduled break. Uh, and during that month, I did a fair bit of traveling, uh, starting with having dear beloved friend of the show, Alicia, come to stay with me in L.A. for a week, which was just a grand old time. Following that, I went up to Portland, saw a bunch of friends and by friends, I mean strippers, at the various male strip clubs that are all through Portland. Uh, and, uh, and then from there up to San Francisco for uh, our friend Pablo's wedding. So it's been a real Real roller coaster ride of a month. Um, we managed to get through all of it without ever having a single positive COVID test, which is real progress for us. Because did you as, take uh, any? Oh, we, <laughs> no, and that's and that's why I recommend <laughs> just don't. It turns out Trump was right. Just don't test. That's how you get positive numbers. Uh, yeah, no, we tested throughout, and uh, and it was it was. I mean, we've had historically, as some may know, very bad luck uh, in terms of taking trips that involve airfare um, only to have one of us test positive either directly before uh, the trip begins as in hours before, or maybe on day two, a 14 day multi-city trip. So uh, these are the things that happened to us throughout 2021, but damn it, we did multiple airfare trips in September and we came out fine. COVID's over. I agree with with Biden. It's over. (laughs) Uh, It's almost as though if you would wait, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or anyway, nothing, never going, go on. It's good, it's good. Um, and then just yesterday I got my latest booster shot as well as my flu shot, which normally I I will say I have never in my life gotten a flu shot. Um, really? And I've never, ever gotten one. And I've been lucky enough to almost never, ever really get the flu. Um, but I've been really noticing that my immune system is definitely like not what it once was pre-COVID, pre-quarantine you know, um, isolation, um, becoming just a little tender little baby in terms of my immune system. So, And I keep seeing all these terrifying reports in the press around like, you know, that this is going to be like the worst flu season in years. So I'm just like, you know, I will be a big boy and I will allow the scary person at CBS to put two different needles in my arm. And, uh, and they right. did. So and great. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I, I was like, you know, they didn't give me candy afterward. And uh, for that, I did slam them on Yelp. But, but aside from that, it was a positive experience. And, uh, so I, I feel good. Although of course, last year, um, Scott got his case of COVID just a month after getting his, uh, booster shot. But you know, what are you going to do? That we, that was, that was, that was the beginning of Omicron. We got blind side. We know it was coming. Where are the chances of that happening again? <laughs> I would say uh, probably I mean, pretty fair good. To middle, yeah. Pretty good. Probably pretty yeah, good, actually. Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but anyway, so now I am excited uh, because we are now it is October and movies are getting serious. It is prestige movie season. 
Um, and maybe of the four we're doing today, maybe one could be considered prestige, except for it's also an internet laughing stock. Uh, so we are not necessarily going super prestige um, to kick off prestige movie season, but all the same, I'm very excited about the very depressing movies to come over the next few months. Uh, Rebecca, what is up with you? Wait, which is the one that is possibly prestige, but an internet laughing stock? I would say blonde. Oh, yeah. yeah okay, I guess so. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler. <Ooh. laughs> um, uh, thank you for asking. I, it's also a whirlwind travel month for us. Um, we also started our trip in Portland. Uh, we also started with Alicia coming here. She, she cut your trip short to come visit us. Uh, <laughs> she didn't go to Palm Springs. That's true. What a treat. And man, did we talk shit about you. Um, and then afterwards, I also went to Portland, just narrowly avi- missing you, mm-hmm. um, avoiding. And then we went to London and Berlin, which was wonderful. My first time there. It was delightful. Mm. Um, Wait, it was your first time in Berlin? It was. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and fall is all man. the more exciting when you don't get to experience it ever. So, oh, yeah. They get they get real seasons there, huh? Yeah. It was very, very European. <laughs> very, was, you're like, I only leaf in Berlin. I, um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do come from a place where fall is quite beautiful. Of course. Um, emphatic. You know, emphatic. But... Um, it was it was beautiful and pleasant and all the fun things about traveling, seeing museums, eating good food, meeting people, um, friends of, of my partner's soul that I hadn't met before who were wonderful. And mm. we had one of those great moments where you're traveling, but then um, people invite you over for dinner. So you kind of have this oh. like weird one time you'll ever meet some people in like a group dinner situation and you like have these great conversations knowing you'll never see half of them ever again. Oh. Very fun. Um, and you're like, cause I don't like people. I mean, like, I don't really prefer to keep, <laughs> I prefer not to keep lasting connections. So it's really my dream. No, uh, no, it's just a bunch of uh, meeting people, um, where, you know, that night you're at the same table at a wedding or you're at the same table in a, yeah. in a, uh, a homemade meal and you are just best friends for life by yep. life. I mean that Absolutely. night. Wonderful. Absolutely. Bottle episode friendships. Lasting, lasting relationships are overrated. Meaningful, <laughs> and, and I mean this in a friendship way. <laughs> yeah. Some have gone on too long. You've been trying um, to take me for years. Yeah. I mean, doing my best, but uh, yeah, happy <laughs> to be back, and uh, I'm very excited next weekend to do one more little stint of travel, which is going to see Carly Rae Jepsen in Las Vegas. We mm-hmm. had tickets to see her right before COVID, and they were some of those tickets that were canceled and refunded, and mm-hmm. um, it's long overdue. The last time we saw her was, I think. Pride weekend of 2019, which was amazing. Mm. Oh my goodness, I do remember you just just walking on air after that show. Mm-hmm. Just mm. delighted, but um, yeah. And this, so, the last time that I saw you was in Vegas, so you'll be going back to uh, yeah. back uh, for the Simpsons Memorial Day. I've actually been once before, once between. <laughs> so this is the only year that I will have been in Vegas three times in one in one year. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Who knew? Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's very is... close to, to Palm Springs. It's a 45-minute flight, so... How long is um, the drive? The drive is four hours. How is that possible when it's also four hours, like, from L.A.? I don't understand geography. I don't know either. I don't... That's mystifying. Let's it should be two hours. Speak <laughs> now of what we know not of and move on to the movie, shall we? <laughs> I mean, which we also might not know much about, but why would we never stop us before? So let's just We've already in. committed to this whole thing, mm-hmm. so... Damn it. The Too nice falls off. Yeah. The first movie this week is Bros. Jason is an erotic podcaster. Oh, I'm sorry. Bobby is a 
Damn it. Bobby is a neurotic podcast host who's happy to go on Tinder dates and content to not having a serious relationship. That all changes when he meets Aaron, an equally detached lawyer who likes to play the field. Repeatedly drawn to each other, both men begin to show their vulnerable sides as their undeniable attraction turns into something resembling a commitment. So at first I thought you said Jason and erotic podcaster. I'm like, erotic? <laughs> well, I'm like, I guess maybe I, I've had a little something in my throat and making me a little th- a little raspy today. But <laughs> it's just my immune response to my to my uh, my my booster. But uh, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the most neurotic podcast hosting you could say. <laughs> Jason, bros. I, this one is. I tried really hard to not digest the discourse mm. but unfortunately i had a i got a little taste of discourse <laughs> and it's always i mean it's this it's a balance of like oh it's nice to feel justified but then it's also like oh man now i have mm. to reference this other podcast when we talk about this. <laughs> yeah it's a it's another discourse movie uh we so we getting our our, our second Gay comedy, gay romantic comedy, accompanied by enormous internet discourse of the year, following Fire Island back in summer. Oh boy, doesn't that feel like years ago when that fucking movie came out in June? That does at not least. feel does not feel recent. Does not feel like this year mm-hmm. at all. Um, and now we have Bros. So I will say the di- the main discourse I've seen about the movie has been more about like just all the talk around like why it didn't do well. Um, and how Billy Eichner, you know, responded to it not doing well. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, things like that. So in terms of the movie itself, uh, I, you know, just anecdotally have been very impressed by the fact that, like, most of my social media, if not all of it, has been gays actually saying they like it, which never happens. Never happens. Hmm. I've never seen gays come together and say they actually like something before. Um, that is a gay thing. You know, as 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 you repeatedly call me out on in previous episodes, uh, the gays are were very hard on our own uh, on products meant to uh, reflect us and to represent us. So um, when you I say think, the gays liking it, can you give a profile of who those gays are? Uh, yeah, it's been men. That's, you okay. know, it's been, it's like been professional. No, no. I mean, like okay. I, I would say it's been, yeah, it's been like, I've seen gay men that I've known from all different chapters of my life across from Pennsylvania, Ohio, on out to California, Northwest, New York, you know, uh, obviously I don't know a lot of Heartland gays, uh, but I don't know how they feel about it. If you are a Heartland gay listening to the show, let us know what you thought about bros. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I enjoyed it very much. I laughed quite a bit. Um, I appreciate the extent to which they really let Billy Eichner be Billy Eichner. Um, like the first, what, three minutes of the movie or so was just like him speaking uninterrupted um, and just going on a full Eichner style rant. Uh, so Did you I was dream like, okay. that this is what you wish this podcast was where you could just no. talk for three minutes interrupted? <laughs> like, that's what I thought it should be. Oh, uh, you're like, this is the, you're like, this is how it used to be back before we gave Rebecca speaking parts. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> that's what it could have been. I could be on the board of some fucking gay museum, but no. <laughs> that's what's on my my roller coaster of gay trauma or whatever it was on the. It's <laughs> 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 all you. Uh, so, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I was definitely like, okay, he's a famous gay. You know, I was trying not to get tripped up on like, okay, a famous gay podcaster. Like, what is, you know, what even is that? Uh, is that a, like a Dan <laughs> Savage type? Like, is he? You know, I don't even. I'm like, it's it's, it's eluded me. Uh, but uh, good for Billy Eichner, I guess. 
Um, I've been a fan of uh, of Billy Eichner's for for some time now, going back to certainly Billy on the Street um, and the TV show Difficult People on Hulu uh, with him and Julie Klausner. And uh, and I have I had multiple people tell me over the years that I am like Billy Eichner, that Billy Eichner is like me, or that I'm reminded of them. He reminds them of me. Like yes, 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 yes. I've gotten that a fair bit. Um, so uh, you know, but I you know I came into the movie not knowing what to think because again, like we've had so many uh, you know queer movies uh, come out that I you know was not like that wild about, but. Um, I felt like this one was just written really well, just as a comedy. Like, you know, we always say that that litmus test of like, well, was the comedy funny? Then, you know, yes, to me, it was very funny. So, OK, good. It succeeded in being a comedy. I thought there was a fair bit of, of psychological complexity to the way the characters are written as well. Uh, I felt like it really did tackle these issues of sort of internalized homophobia, gay self-loathing, uh, masculine representation of gay men's re- uh, relationship with masculinity. Um, you know, there's there's no kind of external force that is challenging the relationship between these two men. It's all internal. It's all their own baggage and what they're bringing to it. Uh, which I felt like was just depicted in a really uh, uh, insightful way. Uh, Deborah Messing's great. Uh, so, <laughs> no, it uh, really is for gay gay men of a certain age. Yeah, yeah, and I, I definitely wouldn't claim that, like you know, and I mean, no gay movies for all gay people. Of course uh, not. You know, like it's you know, and this this was just you know, this was an improvement over movies like you know, Love Simon. Uh, you know, where it's just sort of like which was the first. Uh, you know, in the battle, the first, I think Love Simon was like the first gay, like studio, major studio, gay, romantic coming of age story. And this is the first gay major studio R rated comedy romance. Um, but, you know, I just feel like, uh, you know, Billy Eichner is such a specific kind of lead. Um, I, I did see at least one attempted like takedown in the movie that was like, oh, great. All this movie gives us is heteronormative feeling wish fulfillment where we get to end the movie with two conventionally handsome gay men living happily ever after. And I was like, Oh, you read my think piece. <laughs> I did. I did. And Billy Eichner is very flattered that you called him conventionally handsome. Uh, <laughs> that's, I think that's what all he really wanted from this. <laughs> uh, I was reminded to say that. Uh, so, but, uh, but yeah. Um, and in terms of, you know, anyway, I don't want to, speak for it. You're like, you're really saying you have to do my Billy Eichner while I just talk for three minutes uninterrupted. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but I will throw it over to you now that I've done a little splashdown with my initial sort of thoughts on bros. I think it's hard to, um, n- like knowing Billy Eichner's work, difficult people, Billy on the street, absolutely love. And that maintaining that sense of who he is in this movie, which I think was the highlight of it. The, the jokes that he made, his sense of humor is just wonderful that turning that into like a relatable sympathetic romantic lead was tough for me um you know i have no sympathy for tall gay loud men (laughs) white tall gay loud men who host podcasts who host podcasts (laughs) and have brown hair and have brown hair (laughs) and are unconventionally attractive He is thinner than me. He is thinner than me. I know. Uh, um, he, I know. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> so, yeah. So what you're saying is that you were triggered the whole movie. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. It was kind of funny. I mean, the, it is pretty 
Mm, the movie seemed like it tried really hard to be very inclusive. You know, it shared a lot of screen time with uh, folks on his library board and and his friends. And then, but then at the end, it like could not help itself to steal away that moment to be this like again really like heteronormative white country music moment that was just kind of um, I don't know forced upon everybody at this library opening. Um, or museum opening, rather. Um, so it, it it's just tough. I and to to steal from from the discourse that I heard, uh, which was the Lost Culturistas podcast. It it does feel like the the chip on his shoulder about recognition and acceptance that is like what you know drives the difficult people character, right, and makes it funny. It it hit too hard here because it, it is also reflected in like the way he responded to the box office, and that makes it a little. It just it it takes away from it being a comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what a sense really of like so you're saying sort of like his sense of like entitlement like he yeah, feels exactly. like he's, he's pissed off that he's been working for so long and he hasn't gotten bigger and you know he made a big movie and people didn't come and watch it and he's pissed off about that and yeah and yeah so just that sense of personal kind of career aggrievement. Exactly. That that is very present in the real world about the movie, and then it's also in the movie itself, right? That whole dialogue on the beach is is about this, and it just I feel like if there was some kind of editing around that to really focus on, and maybe this is what you what you think is the good um, uh, complexity of the characters. I, I think it was it made it a little hard to enjoy as a comedy, which is a shame because it was really funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean that 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 monologue on the beach. I was of two minds about because on the one hand, I was like cognitively thinking like, okay, this is like kind of indulgent. Um, but on the other, I was like, this, this is like really fucking laying out some soul bearing insight um, into gay psychology. Uh, so, you know, I, I felt like he was not just speaking for himself in that moment. And I've seen other gays in my orbit, like posting about that monologue as like being profound to them. Um, you know, so I think he really risked putting it out there. Like he, he wanted to find that balance between paying homage to sort of like, um, rom-com history Mm -hmm. and playing all these different tropes and, and just being a lover of rom-coms while at the same time finding ways to queer that. Um, you know, I saw somebody being like, oh, it's monogamous and that makes it unqueer. It's like, well, not fucking always. Like, it's OK. They talk about it. They have right. a very matter of fact conversation about it. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a scene where they're you know making out while Aaron is being blown by two different guys at once. <laughs> you know, there's there's a very comical uh, four way scene uh, at one point in the film. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> was like, and that, that was all great. The throwbacks, uh, I think so really enjoyed the like. Um, references to the rom-com and the Hallmark movies around like them getting a Christmas tree and then making, (laughs) you know, and then how that was kind of interspersed with these like, yeah, hilarious foursome moments at Christmas, Thanksgiving, I don't remember which Mm. which it was (laughs) bringing in the big, uh, uh, the big Hanukkah candle. uh, (laughs) Hilarious. There's just, there's this thread of, of that. Yeah. Entitled chip. Um, I think if that was eliminated, it would have helped the other, like the the actual romantic connection and the actual comedy flourish. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying yeah. send it back, but I'm saying 
just be happy, man. Like you have, more, you do have more opportunities than a lot of other people. So it's kind of just like edit a little bit. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 tough. I mean, like I can see how obviously, like he is completely within his rights to be disappointed and even devastated that this movie bombed so fucking hard. Because let's be clear, it fucking bombed. Did it really? I actually don't know. I, I, it came in fourth its opening weekend uh, behind uh, – it made like $4 million in change its opening weekend. And the horror movie Smile came in number one with like $19 million. Like Don't Worry Darling still came in above bros. Um, and then some other movie also came in above bros. It did terrible. Um, and it, I think that something like it did like maybe 50% below tracking, like 50% below what the projected, um, first weekend gross was going to be. Okay. So it, it's, it's a humiliating defeat. So like, I don't begrudge Billy Eichner being like trying to make sense of it. And also knowing he's been out there having this public conversation about the movie now for months and months and months and months and months. And of course he feels like, okay, well I need to like comment on this. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously he did not come across very gracious um, in the fact that the movie bombed. Um, and, yeah, that's that that that's that's just how he handled it. He didn't handle it great. You know, uh, for me, it doesn't become a referendum on on the movie and what the movie accomplishes. I mean, it's a movie I feel like I'll probably revisit for years to come because I just find it to be a really just delightful um, romantic comedy. But uh, but, yeah, it's tough. Like we have yet to have that moment where it gets to be. um you know, not a, a gay movie that's not a referendum on gayness at large um, and, you know, without shouldering the burden of having to of representation when it's a, you know, historically underrepresented community. Um, and of course, there are many, 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 many more than the community that are not white cis men who have not had studio movies made about them. So um, uh, Ashley De La Torre, friend of the pod, cast. I know you don't like when I say pod. Um, she and I have been texting quite a bit about the whole thing. And her perspective was like, she's like, I think the marketing was so bad. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, she's like, there's not a person I know who had any idea of what that fucking movie was supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And that was mind blowing to me because like, I've been so hyper aware of this movie from the second it was announced. I mean, but, that's like, the thing. it was announced <laughs> so long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it for sure was. Um, and I'm just like, this is one of those things where I'm just like, is this just like the algorithm really having my fucking number? Um, mm-hmm. And just like, I'm, I'm just like hyper serving me with bros content. And then someone like Ashley, who is not a white cis gay man, um, is like, huh, bros? What is the fuck? Like, she's like, she she has so many like uh, group threads. She's always telling me what people are talking about in them. And she was like, she's like, not a soul feels like they had any idea what this movie was even about. They didn't know it was gay. They didn't know it was romantic comedy. You know, they not they were just in the dark about the whole fucking thing. So so she's like, I feel like that is what's being left out of these postmortems about why it did so badly. It's like the marketing was just horrendous. Whereas others have been like, well, the marketing's problem was that it made it too important you know, mm. that it made it seem like do your homework, eat your vegetables, go see mm-hmm. the gay movie so that we can support this historic moment as opposed to being like, hey, it's a fun romantic comedy. Why don't you go see it? Um, but uh, but yeah, it's which is yeah, which is tough. And for me, I think a lot of the reason that bombed is because it had really no fucking stars in it. Billy That's Eichner huge. is not a star. Luke McFarlane is not really a star like. These are people who are gay famous, but they like there's no like, yes. Does it have Marcy Darcy? Yes. Yes, it does. Uh, Marcy Darcy is there. She is holding it down. I was delighted to see her. Of course. Um, but uh, but, you know, there are and, no and, stars and there and it's it's yeah. 
I mean, at the end of the day, just a rom-com, right? It's not like if you're walking to the theater on a Friday night, yeah. Smile is a horror movie. You know, yeah. that's like that just its genre is in itself like something that would be like, oh, okay, let's try that one. Like, like that's probably quote unquote fun. Right. There there isn't a pull. There's like I don't know that this movie would have deserved to be number one at the box office this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. either not that good or uh yeah, there's nothing about it that makes it particularly noticeable. Yeah, which I, I mean, I think it's the latter because I mean, like in terms of yeah, things that drive people to the theaters, um, you know, like it had like extraordinarily positive reviews and good buzz. So like, it's not like it was coming to the theaters without any of that. It had those things that you're supposed to have if you want to have a good opening weekend. What it did not have were stars. Tom Cruise. Yes, it did uh, not have an a, airplane a, simulator, right? right? Or, or like a horror thrill, or right. Scary um, Seth Rogen in it. it right. There wasn't. The expectation seemed too high for what it was. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know it's it's, and I still you know I give Universal credit um, that they were willing to bankroll this movie, especially because like they they set out to have their dream of an all queer cast, and they did that, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately. Um, it's now a bit of a blemish on the idea of like, oh, we should be quite, you know, casting more queer actors because we did a whole queer cast in a movie and, you know, it didn't, it didn't put butts in seats. Um, and because it was not, there are not a lot of super, super famous out queer actors. And, you know, so, I mean, as much as like, as much as this movie is filled with people like Miss Lawrence and T.S. Madison and, uh, um, uh, the guy from commu- Jim Rash from Community, uh, and you know so many people that are that are sort of known to queer audiences. Um, you know, it's just it just you know Chris and Chenoweth's cameo. Or even like an <laughs> uh, what if it's like an Ellen DeGeneres led? You know, I feel like that's the kind oh, of know, queer person. Well. Just just hear me out. That if you want to get like straight butts in audience in seats, uh-huh. uh, and a big opening, I feel like that's the kind of queer person you need to get to star in a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Billy, I care what from an HBO like a uh, behind a paywall always. Right, right. Um, it, it yeah, the expectation is just wild. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I, I think there's gonna be endless kind of uh, um, you know postmortems on this one for a while to come, <laughs> and, and the unfortunate immediate effect is gonna be a major chilling effect on studios willing to pay for queer stories. Maybe, and maybe not. Do you think? No, I don't think it's a maybe not. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a done. Like this is every movie, even like movies that are just about that are being led by women doing comedy, still are, are referendums every time. Oh, you like, mean oh, lesbians? Should we? Should we? <laughs> <laughs> Back to your Ellen point. That isn't true, Ellen. <laughs> um, so. You know, I, I think that that is unfortunately what this means is that like once again queer people are going to be represented more in supporting roles in studio movies and not as much at uh, at the center. Um, you know, because like because this movie has been such a high profile disaster. So thanks for uh, the idea. <laughs> and I think that he and he feels that responsibility. I think he's aware, and I think that's part of why he's so devastated. You know, it's it's just yeah, it's fucking rough. But for me personally, I was a big fan of Bros, and uh, it's a binge it for me. Uh, from the director that brought us Neighbors 2. Mm, which is a great movie. Very funny. Um, very funny. I mean, since opening weekend is over, um, <laughs> I can be honest. Matter anymore, I'm going <laughs> to give it a consumer moderation. Uh, it is in theaters now and it is rated R. Uh, are you 
Are you shit posting about me right now? <laughs> I'm, I'm DMing Billy Eichner. I'm just like, wait till you hear. Are you on I that She-Hulk website? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, no, quick, quick aside, have you been watching She-Hulk? I am behind on She-Hulk. Um, did you see the wedding I, episode? I, yes, I did see the wedding with Patty Harrison. Yes. yes. Talk yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. Talk so about I'm the show that's seeing, doing all the queer work right now. Yeah, we're actually seeing Patty Harrison headline a show at Largo on thir- on the Thursday before uh, the Halloween weekend. Other tickets? Um, <laughs> How long do you want to get house guests? Uh, <laughs> uh, you are welcome to stay as long as you like. Um, I don't. Let me. I don't know if there's still. Anyway, we'll that. look it up later. Um, uh, but, she hawk uh, though. Super weird. Yeah. Loving it. Yeah, it is. Show. Yeah, I'm. I'm like maybe two episodes behind now. I do need to catch up. Okay. Um, our, our second movie this week is Blonde, a look at the rise to fame and the epic demise of actress Marilyn Monroe, one of the biggest stars in the world. Epic demise. Epic. Epic. Epic demise. Oh, man. Man, that demise was epic. Oh, my God. That demise was so epic. It kind of random, but also epic. <laughs> 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 oh holy shit <laughs> you just finished watching this movie i did i did yeah it's been it's been a journey i watched it in in little broken up segments across last night and this morning and again this afternoon when you messaged me that you had time left i was like oh no i didn't finish it i need to finish it now and so i finished it when you had messaged oh. me a while ago <laughs> I, I only had like 30 minutes left um but this is hard to watch. And what if you if you have seen this movie in one sitting, <laughs> I th- tell somebody. Tell <laughs> yes. Your Call loved ones need line. to know. Yeah. If you're like hmm, bored, <laughs> or just like uh huh, I want more. Um, I'm sorry. It's can, kind of a red flag about yourself. I think. Can you can you imagine being in the audience at the Venice Film Festival that gave this like a supposed like tw- ten minute standing ovation? This season has been such a like a a, con- a condemnation of how film festival reactions to movies are complete total fucking bullshit. Mm. Uh, because like, are you kidding me? To this movie, standing up and applauding it for what? Being it over. Is- <laughs> right, <laughs> right. They didn't say that they stayed and clapped. Uh, so there was a lot of clapping, and it took ten minutes for everyone to run out of the auditorium because of you know big ass Italian movie theater. So, uh, yeah, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, this one has been on our radar for a while. Um, I think that our our longtime listeners might know that um, uh, uh, this is a secretly an Anna de Armas uh, fan podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, not unlike the fan Twitter account that she had shut down famously. Um, <laughs> so she's, she's an odd one. And uh, so it was like, oh, cool. So she's going to be in this big prestige Marilyn Monroe movie based on Joyce Carol Oates novel. What could go wrong? Rebecca, what went wrong? Everything. Everything went wrong. Okay, let's talk about quickly what didn't go wrong. The movie is beautiful. Beautiful art direction. Absolutely gorgeous. The filmography, some of the some of some of the choices that were made were a little questionable, but I would say overwhelmingly, um, I I think I at one point I stopped and I said, um, if this move if this were a photo shoot for Vanity Fair, this would be the mm. coolest thing. 
There's yeah. so many moments where it's just like, oh, every every frame of photo. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there are moments when she looks so much like her. Really? Um, really? In for, the, for me, the one that came the closest was when she's singing I Want to Be Loved by You on the Sun Like a Hot Set. I literally uh, thought that it was it was a clip from the original movie because she looked yes. so – her face looked like – the shape of her face. Like it looked exactly like her. I, and so until she abruptly you know starts clawing at herself and runs away screaming, I'm like, oh, well, that's right. – um, oh, okay, got it. Um, now it's, now we're back one, in Andrew Dominic's land. A little bit at the beginning when she's – I think she's trying – out uh i think she's auditioning for i think it's when she's auditioning for a role and it's kind of one of the first scenes that cuts to black and white oh yeah and it's just like this is gorgeous um and then there are Mm -hmm. scenes again towards the end everything the lighting it goes from harsh to soft it's absolutely beautiful yeah yeah it's and you're you're spot on in terms of like the whole vanity fair photo shoot like it absolutely feels like oh like uh, 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 you know, Annie Leibovitz was just like, ooh, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, like I, I, I'm booking a cover for Ana de Armas for a Vanity Fair, and we're going to do Marilyn. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, ooh, good. And then they, like, just look at stills from this, and they're like, oh, because that's the thing. I feel like the stills from this movie were, like, spine-tingling, because they, she, it looks so much like her. And it's like that, they're the one still of her with, like, the, the costume behind her, like, you know, like, tying her into her bodice or whatever. And she's kind of, like, looking up and smiling, mm-hmm. like, it's just like, holy shit, that looks so real. Um, to me, the whole movie feels like in that in that kind of whole like indulgent, miserable vibe. It just feels very 90s. Uh, like it, is, it just feels like a movie that would have been very kind of like very because, you know, Bleak Chic was so in in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I could see like this being like, you know, the way that it plays. Well, plays is a maybe a generous word. The way it plays with different ratio aspect ratios and mm-hmm. color to black and white and all the rest of it. I could see in the 90s people being like, Ooh, that is groundbreaking. And just like the mere fact of her misery at the time would have been like, oh, groundbreaking. Like this was the era of, you know, HBO doomed woman biopics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Including one of my very favorites, which was Norma Jean and Marilyn, in which Ashley Judd and Mira Sorvino played the twin halves of Marilyn Monroe, uh, which is to date my favorite uh, screen uh, representation of Marilyn's story. Uh, the, the, The gambit there uh, was we had Ashley Judd playing her when she was like Norma Jean before she goes blonde. And then and she's the one who's sort of like like the savage hustler who's just like doing everything she has to to make a name for herself. And then when she gets like made over as Marilyn Monroe, Mira Servino takes over. But she still has Norma Jean as like sort of this alter ego following her around being like, you're blowing it for me. Like I made this happen for us. And, you know, and you're fucking miserable. Mm. Um, you know, it's a really um, I mean, both of them are so fucking good in it. It is one of the best Ashley Judd performances in particular. But uh, I was thinking of it often, um, especially because they literally have a scene just like in this movie where she's filming Seven Year Itch and they're doing like the, you know, the skirt blowing up over the grate oh, and right. all the all the crew are leering and Joe DiMaggio is staying there scowling. Like it was like like almost shot for shot, except for this makes that like this for some reason has about maybe five solid minutes of just different different close ups of her ass and her legs right. um, as the skirt blows over her head. And, you know, with like men with their jaws hanging open watching um, as Daddy Joe stomps away. So. Um, so, yeah, it felt very. Yeah, the whole even like the, the perfume ad quality of it felt very 90s, <laughs> you know, like the 90s right. were like the ultimate era of like moody black and white perfume commercials. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, a question for you. Yeah. I don't, I don't want you to get too far into the next 
piece before I ask you about the <laughs> acting. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you think of the acting? So I would say I don't know. I don't want to fault Anna de Armas because um, I'm sure she's doing what she's being directed to do. But I found I found her performance very one note. Um, I found it to just be a very one note, very pouty child woman on the verge of tears, uh, performance. Um, and I'm sure it's a culmination of, of her collaboration with Andrew Dominic, the director and the person who adapted the novel for the screen. Um, and perhaps how Joyce Carol Oates wrote Marilyn in the book Blonde, which I've not read. Um, so, but I, I was not... I mean, I, I give her credit for like really going for it, like time and time and time again. Um, but it did not remind me of Elizabeth Berkeley and Showgirls, um, in the sense that she is just going for it so hard because she's being directed to, but it's just kind of landing with a bit of a thud. Um, and yeah, I, I, I was at the end of the day, I, yeah, I just felt that it was just a very kind of one note performance. And of course, as many have pointed out, just very, the whole thing is just so insulting to. Well, who we'll Marilyn get there in a minute. Was. We'll get there in a minute. Okay. But yes, uh, yeah. So performance wise, yeah, I was not blown away by her. I wasn't really blown away by anybody um, performance wise. Uh, I thought that Adrian Brody did okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and he's just tasked with playing just like a, you know, intellectual character. So he had some interiority. Bobby Cannavale just plays Joe DiMaggio, which is like a big, like hulking, you know, cretin. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, I, I didn't really. Yeah. So what did you think about the acting? Uh, yeah, I would say that like Andrew Dominic, the director of actors, I think I think I think it went well. I think Ana de Armas, in, which is part of what makes the movie so hard to watch and the, the criticisms that we'll get to very shortly um, Anadarmus still makes me feel um, quite there, I, I think, in spite of the lack of dialogue mm. and, um, yeah, the, the lack of options to do much of anything. I was I feel like moment to moment I was sort of sucked in and I was I was feeling what she was feeling. I think Julianne Nicholson um, uh, yes. from Mayor of Easttown did an amazing mm-hmm. job as her mother. Another one of the like beautifully uh filmed and, and lit scenes of them like driving mm. into that fire. Right. Very dramatic. Um I think yeah, I think the the characters interacted well with each other when she was sort of hanging around with the other young Hollywood stars, sons of Titans. I think that mm-hmm. was well played. Um for getting into some of the the more sexual scenes for a Netflix movie, the stuff that probably pushed it into the N C seventeen. Mm-hmm. I would say acting and directing of people. I think it was good. I think I would go fil- filmography and beauty first and then acting. And then we get to <laughs> the movie, which again, the book written by, jo- by Joyce Carol Oates um, and Andrew Dominic, the director also adapted it for the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> would, you, would you like to start? Um, well, I, I will also, just as a, as a side note to the NC-17, apparently it was entirely for the blowjob scene that it got the NC-17. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Um, so just because it is such a tight close up, um, you know, that is, you know, lingers. So, um, but yeah, it, it is 
there's just, ugh. I mean, for me, it's impossible to talk about it without talking about that one interview Andrew Dominic did where he yes. described, yeah, where he called Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell whores. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then all at once, they're like, oh, okay, like this is, this is what this person thinks of this woman. This is why, um, you know, he, he is bringing his perspective on the story of Marilyn Monroe is one of just complete scorn and condemnation and hatred and judgment and, uh, and disgust. And those are the only emotions that fuel basically every scene in the entire movie. Um, it is, you know, people have said it's like, it's misery porn. It's a snuff film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's not, not those things. Um, you know, it is nearly three solid hours of Marilyn being degraded continually over and over and over and over and over. Um, and then we, and, and then, you know, it, and we see as the, as it continues that it's taking a toll on her and then her, um, you know, it takes a toll on her, on her mental health. And then, you know, of course she gets into the addiction issues and, you know, and, 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 and spirals from there. As usual, she is defined largely by, the men in her life, as we mentioned, Joe DiMaggio, Arthur Miller, JFK. Father. Uh, yes, uh, her missing father. Uh, and and as well as in probably the most controversial element of it by her, uh, the pregnancies that she miscarried um, over the course of her life. And just to put um, a finer point on what you just said, like, yeah, the movie only shows pieces of her life through these relationships. It goes from one relationship to the next, from either it's the director who raped or the writer-director who raped her, studio mm-hmm. head, to her relationship with these um, two fellow actors, to the relationship right. with Joe DiMaggio. Like, there is no part... This is the opposite of the Bechdel. <laughs> like, there is no <laughs> part of this movie that is about her life that is not somehow right. influenced by either her father or one of these relationships. It just... Like does not exist in this movie. There is nothing yeah, no. about her that is not part of these men. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be Daryl Zanuck who raped her. Ah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it, you know, it is. It's really you can tell that like uh, so Andrew Dominic. I looked him up to be like, okay, what's he done before that I've seen? And he actually he directed the assassination of the coward um, uh, of of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, which is a great movie. Uh, I was hoping I could just write him off entirely, but he has made at least one great movie. But looking at his filmography, he's certainly the last person you would think of to do a story like this because his movies have been very, very dude bro. Um, and so it's really flabbergasting that it went to him um, to make this movie. And I did see a friend be like, please let this be the last time that we have to have a man telling Marilyn Monroe's story. Like we can never have this again. We can never again have a man telling her story. Um, and I certainly hope that that point is taken. And I don't know that we need to have her story told again, because like we have been gorging ourselves on this woman's tragedy for, I mean, she's been dead now for 60 years. Um, and it's never, it's never stopped. You know, our fascination has never let up. You know, it was not too long ago that Michelle Williams played her in my week with Marilyn, um, which was a considerably better film and I think better performance, um, but also better material to work with than on an arm has had here. Um, and the way this movie is stitched together as a script, like you can, you can tell that they're going for this, like, I'm guessing trying to translate the lyrical quality of, of Joyce Carol Oates's writing. Right. Um, you know, like it, cause I'm it, it, knowing kind of how she is as a, as a writer, 
Um, I'm guessing it kind of was a more lyrical take on the subject of Marilyn Monroe, going from more like myth making and abstract and archetype as opposed to like a more traditional, you know, uh, sort of straight take on like, well, what were the facts of her life? Because, of course, and this movie takes, you know, it, it invents quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, takes a lot of liberties, which I don't know how much came from the book and how much were just Andrew Dominic's own sadism. Um, but, you know, so in, in the whole movie also felt like it was going for this like Lynchian vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, between, very, like, very much. Yeah, between the oversaturated lighting and like an ominous synth music playing. Very, you know, Mulholland Drive opening credits. <laughs> very elementary music. Yes, cues for exactly. Sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, but there's just no, there's just no substance to it. Um, and it, all it does is just continually hold her up as an object of suffering and punishment, um, you know, without any other perspective on it. Like, what is it, you know, what is, what is the take here? Like, it doesn't even, it doesn't really respect her as a human being. Um, you know, it treats her very much like a child woman, as I said, like she throughout the movie is just like this, like this hyper vulnerable child woman who's just like wandering through, um, you know, just being assaulted and battered and degraded by every person she encounters and just coming back at them with a hopeful smile. And that's it. You know? I mean, it was very uh, sharp stick to reference mm. the movie we looked at last time um, mm. where there there is no plausible way this is who she was as a person mm-hmm. i don't think you could, get, you could get through and like own your own production company right with this limited uh limited personality limited limited agency like there's no way this is a, this is a person in the world but yeah think of your think of your worst coworker. think of like <laughs> the person who is the worst of their job that you know mm-hmm. this characterization of marilyn monroe is a hundred times less capable than that person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, she is, she is truly hapless. Like she is, she is a little baby lamb just teetering from, from room to room, um, into a wolf's den repeat just over and over and over. Um, and we see her as, you know, later in the film as her, as her sort of pill addiction starts to unravel, we see her getting more into a place where she has rage. She's in touch with her rage um, but like, but even then, you know, like she'll just very, very, very abruptly, um, start screaming and being violent and then just go right back to being like little baby lamb. Uh, you know, there's just no, it has no insight, uh, uh, into her and, you know, beyond just like the, the, just everything about the myth that we already have heard a million times. And it does it in a way that is just so insulting to her. And like, fortunately, I feel like the world has won, has risen up to be like, this is not who Marilyn Monroe was. Um, and, you know, this is just like a f- fucking disgusting hatchet job um, that pisses all over the legacy of one of the greatest stars who ever lived. And I can understand Andrew Dominic wanting to, like, chip away at that, the studio system, the, you know, contract star players. Uh, wanting to expose the misogyny and the exploitation that fuels Hollywood. Um, but I feel like there's a way of doing that without also making it seem like your protagonist is a fucking dingbat. That's the uh, issue. I think that right. the way that he portrays it almost gives credence or like gives v- validation to why she was treated this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it sets her up as like, well, if you know, it, it, it's, it does more harm than it could possibly do good. 
I don't mm-hmm. believe that there is good intent in this. Uh, no, no, it does not seem like there's any good intent in this in this in this work from from Andrew Dominic. I, I think Anda Armas, I'm sure, had good intent, but there's no good intent from Dominic. It just feels so toxic. Uh, the whole thing just feels just like just oh my gosh, overflowing with toxicity. Um, and I mean, even even the depiction of like the fucking you know mental health hospital that she goes to visit her mother, and they right. show that it, you know like it's so retrograde and backwards. Um, you know, it is, oh my God. Like we my heart goes out. The fetus scenes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me just say this and we can do that. But like my heart goes out to Aunt Armas for how much she had to cry filming this movie. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody cry more in a single movie. Like she literally looks like, like she is crying in almost every single scene. It's just like, she seems like she's always just seconds away from fully sobbing. And and for what? You know, she she poured her heart and soul into this and in in the in the service of this fucking hack uh, filmmaker who hates I mean, that's, women. That's kind of the the I think maybe even more real world problematic issue of this movie is that like you're taking a, an actress that's kind of on the cusp of a breakout mm-hmm. um, and, you know, has just been through a very public breakup giving right. her this star role in this Netflix movie, um, this, this Cuban actress and just running her to the fucking ground. I feel right. like exploiting her <laughs> a victim in this movie in a right. real world way that like, re- like re- it's, mm-hmm. that feels like the, like the real bad taste of my mouth. Um, right. Is and I mean, of course, and just having her do so much nudity, having her oh be physically violated while she's doing nudity. Uh, like there's just so much uh, to take issue with here. Um, you know, not least of which is, as you just alluded to, the fetus component of the story. So, <laughs> and I did send Rebecca a photo of my face uh, when the scene you happened. Did. It's going to be the cover art for this. And I, and I, I had heard about this scene. I had heard all the outcry that I think is it. I think what Planned Parenthood stepped came forward and, and condemned this movie um, as like you know anti-choice propaganda. Um, you know, so at first it was, you know, there's, there's multiple, you know, Marilyn has multiple pregnancies. She loses over course of this movie. Um, and the first time, you know, we, we do, we, you know, we cut to this kind of like CG footage of like her fetus, um, looking all cozy. Um, and then nothing really. And then she is more or less her forced to have an abortion so that she can, you know, so her career won't be affected by a pregnancy. And it's a very that that scene to me was just like very hacky uh, of her just like jumping up and run trying to run away. Like it was just like this is this has gone to a very bad place taste level. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but then when she is her second pregnancy, uh, there's a scene where her uh, she hears her fetus speaking to her. Um, and it, uh, it basically says like, are you going to, you know, kill me like you did last time? And, you know, like, you know, are you, are you just going to just, you know, is it going to be that again? Are you just going to kill me? And she's like, oh, but you're a different baby. And the baby, (laughs) the baby's like, well, I'm always the same baby. It is always me and you kill me. And my jaw was just on the floor, uh, for this scene, like, like, listen, this has always also been part of the Marilyn Monroe mythology is that she always wanted to become a mother and was never able to 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 have a child. And, yeah, that's heartbreaking. 
is there a way to talk about like the the guilt that that people have after they've lost a pregnancy, whether through you know whether through their own choice or not? Yes, for sure. Is that way to do a CG fetus <laughs> fucking destroying that person um, and, sh- and telling them that they have killed before and they'll kill again? <laughs> I don't know if it is. I'm going to say I'm going to go ahead and say no. I think that's not the not the way to go about that. A thousand percent no. Yeah. Yeah. What did I you mean, that's just like? That's that's like a cherry on the top of what was already a woman, a woman, a movie that so clearly doesn't think of women as people. Yeah. You're going to make a fetus. As you said, drag this woman. Are you fucking kidding me? If he just seemingly voiced by Jacob Tremblay at that. (laughs) (laughs) America's sweetheart. America's sweetheart, Jacob Tremblay, who actually just saw just turned 16 recently. So it couldn't have been him. Uh, <laughs> but just imagine little baby room, Jacob Tremblay, like, oh, are you going to kill me again? Like that is that is the voice that we hear. And it's like in the and once again, the art direction goes out of its mind. And mm-hmm. we see like Marilyn on her knees in a garden. And suddenly, like the whole frame just closes in around her face in front of it with these flowers in front of them um, as she has this conversation with her fetus. Um, in a way that to me was like vaguely reminiscent of like Emily Watson and breaking the waves, but like so many thousands of times worse. And, uh, uh, and that was just, it was like, I can, having seen that scene now, I was like, okay, yes. From the first scene, I was like, oh, well, but I, I didn't notice like, yes. Like, is it questionable to have these like loving, uh, CG sequences that show fetuses looking all happy and baby? Like, uh, you know, yeah, like that, that's, that's questionable. Um, but of course, at the same time, like, yeah, like when, when, when people are pregnant, then that's the reason there are things like ultrasounds because yeah, you, you do become attached, of course, to the idea that this is your baby that is growing inside of you. So that I could set aside, but not, not, not the second scene, <laughs> not, 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 not the fetus dragging her that crossed uh, like lines, lines have never been crossed before. It is, it is, it's new world records in line crossing, uh, that particular sequence, boy, oh boy. Um, if it hasn't been clear, this movie is one of the biggest send it backs I've ever had, I think. One of the biggest what? Send it backs. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you said setbacks. I'm like, yes, it is a huge setback. Oh, also, yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. hundred percent agree. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It really makes you wonder, like I, what I wouldn't have given to have been a fly on the wall in those like Netflix executive screening rooms as they're like watching cuts of this come in. And are just like, huh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, that's a choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh no. Um, well, we'll still put it out because it'll be a real conversation starter. It's just, uh, I mean, with the NC-17 of it, I feel like you're already on fragile ice, right? And you know, but it's absolutely worth it for some movies. Um, mm-hmm. But to say like. Okay, we know because of the MPA that we're already pushing the line sexually. Should we give up something in terms of misogyny somewhere else in this movie? <laughs> then the whole no. movie disappears. <laughs> the whole movie would just implode if you started pulling at that thread because it's nothing but misogyny. So, so strange. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, uh, 
Yeah, I really, I'm very curious to see if Onda Armas actually is a presence in the Best Actress um, awards race this year or not for this movie, because it's just clearly the movie has been so pilloried, rightly I mean, so. I think, I think it'd be kind of cool if she was. I think if like it got no other nominations except for her, that'd be great. Oh, I mean, um, for sure. I mean, if there is one, it'll be only be for her. Like, I can't imagine it getting anything else. Although it does look uh, like Brad Pitt is one of the producers, which is an interesting. Well, we'll see uh, how things go with him in the. We'll see how things go with him in the months to come with all everything that's coming out in the press. Exactly right. Now. right? So, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's boy oh boy, it's too bad that he didn't <laughs> do like he did in Twelve Years a Slave and come in at the end to rescue her. Um, <laughs> but she produced that one as well, so. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is also a send it back for me. This is a uniquely punishing film that should be watched by no one. Um, this is a send it back and burn your television. <laughs> it is streaming on Netflix. It's rated NC-17, as you mentioned. Do not watch it. Do not watch it. It is not worth it. Movie number three. <laughs> Focus, Focus 2. <laughs> Same movie. <laughs> Three young women accidentally bring the Sanderson sisters back to Salem and must figure out how to stop the child-hungry witches from wrecking havoc on the world. How does, uh, thank you, Hocus Pocus (laughs) 1 sit in your catalog of Halloween movies? You know, uh, it is a movie that I did see in theaters in 1993 when it first came out. Mm. Um, after that, I don't know that I ever really revisited it up until like two years ago. Um, I think one of the first things that we did actually when we moved to L.A. Uh, was we went to, you know, this is back during the era of like pop up drive in movie theaters. Um, so me and Scott and Heidi and Elizabeth went to Glendale and like watched this on like an inflatable movie screen, like the oh, fun. Park, parking lot of like a Sears in Glendale. Um, so, uh, so <laughs> no, no, it was fun to see it again. Um, so I, I feel like it's taken on, I would characterize it as an outsized cult following. Mm. Um, I'm just like I watch. I'm just like, guys, oh, it's not like wow, um, but you know, like yeah. I mean, it's it's super cute. Obviously, it's like probably the gay root of a whole generation of men. Um, <laughs> you know, for who did not already see Death Becomes for the year before, because that was my root. Um, um, you know, okay, but early, that's it. Okay, thank you. Yes, that that's the one. Things for me too. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, the early nineties were a, a, a good time. They were halcyon days for uh, you know, really dark, dark diva driven comedy. Um, that dealt in morbid matters. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, there's Hocus Pocus. And, uh, so yeah, I would say that it was, it's a movie I appreciate. Uh, and, uh, you know, it has Thor Birch in it. So what can you do? Uh, what about you? What what does it mean to you? I mean, I thought I had seen it until I saw this one and I was like, (laughs) soul had, also, I think she thought she had, we, we, we were putting up our <laughs> Halloween decorations and we were like, let's watch it when we eat dinner. Let's watch Hocus Pocus 2. And I was like, have you seen it? The first one? Yes, me too. I think, yeah, of course. And then we get into it and she's like, wait a minute, are they the bad guys? And I was like, I've never seen this movie before. <laughs> I'm thinking of Death Becomes Her. I've seen that one. And we are, again, gays of a certain age. <laughs> I feel like Hocus Pocus probably is the kind of movie where everyone feels like they've seen it, whether they have or not, because it's just it's just especially in the last like, you know, five to ten years of increasing 90s nostalgia. It's just become inescapable. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I feel like it's not a movie that was really talked about for 
like in the immediate years after it came out. But then like, and now that like millennials are all parents, uh, it's like now suddenly it's like, it's the movie that they're forcing on their children. Um, and you know, you see like all the girls from your high school that are moms on Facebook every year posting on Halloween pictures of themselves dressed up like the Sanders and sisters. Um, I do you still go on Facebook? I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I prefer to Twitter. Uh, Whoa, okay. Yes. I'll say about that. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's really obviously taken on a massive, massive nostalgic significance for an entire generation of particularly geriatric millennials. So, um, <clears throat> so now as one does 29 years later, why not? There's a sequel. Um, and because it's 2022, our three leading ladies don't look really any different than they did 29 years ago. <laughs> uh, so that is a peculiar thing. Like I was watching it, like, imagine if like, there was like a, like a sequel to, you know, let's say the wizard of Oz that came out like 29 years after the fact, which for that movie would have been 1968. And then like everyone's there and everyone looks the same, but granted, they were all in makeup, it, just like these women are. Mm. So maybe I've just proven why my point is not a good one. Nope. Uh, and that's fine. Yeah. All the same, uh, you know, I, 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 this movie is clear. It's, you know, it's a nostalgia play. Uh, I'm sure they've been for years thinking about doing something like this. It was a question of just being able to get the three of them all on board to do it. This um, is Philadelphia. This, <laughs> yeah, when we're talking about 1993 uh, reunions. You know, we had one earlier this year when we had Jane Campion face out with Steven Spielberg for Best Director at the Oscars. Huh. That was that happened in 1983 as well for the piano versus Schindler's List at the time. And, you know, it's 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 uh, this is a year of 93 nostalgia. And that's fine. Uh, 93 is a fine year. Um, so so this time, though, here's here's what I'm wondering um, is if other people, if people who are like young, people who are the target demo for this movie, um, although I don't even know if young people are the target demo. I think actually the target demo is geriatric millennials. Um, but for me, the thing that kept the movie from being as successful as the first movie was the, let's call them Disney Channel movie quality of the younger cast. And I don't know if that comes from what having been mean? like, they just feel like actors in like a made for the Disney Channel movie. Uh, they, they felt like like the sort of like the 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 YA of it all. Um, it just oh, felt just that the they were it was led by youth. Well, yeah, well, yes, not just it was led by youth because the first movie is also led by youth. Um, so that's the thing I'm I'm wondering is you know if maybe if people who are like you know I watched this movie when I was 11, so 11 year olds watch this now, will they 30 years from now be like, oh, those actors were iconic? Um, because you know looking back at Thora Birch and Vanessa Shaw and the people who were in the first movie, I'm just like icons, icons. And then watching these like 12 year olds, I'm just like, ah, these kids have no star power. Um, so, <laughs> um, so that is, that is something that I'm curious about because I, I, it was, I was surprised the extent to which it really throws you headlong into just like a, a yet another coming of age high school story. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, before we, it really makes you work a good, a good while before it lets you have the Sanderson sisters back. Um, it really does. It's like, kind of two whole backstories before you, you see, um, Bette Midler again. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, and I feel like I, I want to say that the original did not do that. Although I will say. Who was Vanessa first, Shaw? Vanessa Shaw. She was in the first movie. Um, she's, she was also, she, she went on to be an eyes wide shut, I believe. Um, I'm not I mean, sure. So if I'm questioning the star power of the originals. It's other fair, than Thor it's Birch. 
I will say that the biggest star out of anyone in Adubi is now very, very plainly young Sorry, Winifred. Oh. Young Winifred <laughs> <laughs> from the opening scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Young Bit Midler from the opening flashback in Hocus Pocus 2 is the biggest star of any of them. Uh, like she just wipes the floor with everyone else in the whole movie. 100%. Tony Hale, Sam Richardson, doesn't matter. Uh, no, no one comes close. No one comes close. The whole movie should have just been her. She should have an Oscar campaign. It's incredible. Uh, it's it's really like the movie. The movie starts on such a high note, and then it just <laughs> and then it just settles into like what feels like maybe forty minutes of just like um like 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 junior high exposition. Um, and then suddenly we get the, the sisters back and then we have a, a, a really interminably long scene at a Walgreens and then it feels like it's just <laughs> over. <laughs> so there is like, there's Walgreens, there is a musical number and then it's over. Uh, that is why I can remember of watching Hocus Pocus too. The story is a little weak. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's definitely the weakest point. Uh, it feels like they got the stars back together. They figured out, I think like a decent, um, parallel story about what it means to be a coven. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought you would have liked the, the YA piece of it because that's like your whole thing. And also because it was kind of like a, you know, a little bit of like a craft feel with mm-hmm. some, you know, witchy high school girls. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think I, it got some laughs, you know, similarly to bros. I, I laughed at a, like a bunch of parts of this movie because I think most of them didn't actually come from uh, the Sanderson sisters. Uh, I really need to see the first one again because I score for I the first know. time. Huh? Or for the first time. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> the first one for the first time, because I was sort of <laughs> expecting Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy and Jimmy to bring more to the table. And I, mm. while I found them funny enough in this, like, um, their little mannerisms or what it looked like they were maybe even improving. Um, but they really don't have any line. Like everything that they say is like basically just this kind of parroting of what, what Bette Midler character says. Um, again, this is going to sound maybe ridiculous to everyone in the world who's seen this movie, the original movie, but I, I thought they were the whole comedy force of this. And Mm. most of the laughs came from, I don't know, the, the like funny jokes between one of the, the, the young friends and her, like her boyfriend, not understanding that calling someone weird is <laughs> offensive. Um, or these like, you know, teenage girls like saying that they're 40 um, or like trying oh, yeah. to pull one over. Um, right. Baby lotion. Yeah. I thought they were funny. I thought some of the ways that they try to like make Tony Hale's character mm-hmm. plug in just didn't work very well. Although he was funny. Yeah. It seems like an overall, like maybe pacing story problem, but enjoyable throughout. Yeah. Having, you know, having not seen the first one in, in two years or so, like I, I, I do feel like back in that one as well, it is overwhelmingly the Bette Midler show. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. you have to think this is 1993. Oh. Um, and, and, you know, Kathy Jimmy was coming off sister act, which is the only reason that she booked this. And uh, and then which ironically was meant to star Bette Midler at first as it was being developed before it became a Whoopi Goldberg movie. Um, and Sarah Jessica Parker was kind of a rising starlet, um, but she you know was still like five years away from Sex in the City. Um, you know, so at that point, her biggest credit was probably like Honeymoon in Vegas or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Bette Midler, of course, at the time was far and away the biggest star was sort of Bette Midler vehicle. And uh, so I would say that, that was in the DNA of the first one. So I think mm. it made sense that in this one, and she's also very much the leader of, 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 of the sure. show of the, of the coven. Um, Scott did say when we watched it, this, um, I, I watched this over the phone with Beth Dean and then Scott sat in on it. And, um, and afterward, and Beth Dean was not a fan, but afterwards, Scott was like, he's like, I feel like SJP was kind of phoning it in. Um, mm. and I, I do remember like she, they, they make the illusion to like that she has like this, she had used to have this song that she would sing to like seduce children into like letting her eat them. Which I do remember from the first movie being very creepy. I do remember that being very <laughs> creepy. Like, um, you know, because she does, you know, she had that kind of very um, kind of like, yeah, like sexual flirtatious kind of energy. And she's utilized, she's weaponizing it to eat children. Um, so they definitely were not, you know, good guys in the first movie. They were just like in this, they were like witches that were like brought back from Salem, uh, who then, you know, wreak havoc on this on, on the town of Salem on Halloween night. Um, so it's, it's, it's the same. It's very, when you watch, when you watch the first one, you'll see it is structurally more or less almost like beat for beat the same movie. Okay. Um, in a lot of ways, like it's definitely, they just like thought of just like some, some fucking mechanism by which to bring them back to essentially recreate the first movie in its entirety. Um, to your point, I did appreciate that. Like now there was a, a more, there's a focus on like sisterhood, um, although Scott did call bullshit in like the sort of like in that climatic scene with uh, the, you know, the young girls facing off with the witches and when Bette Midler suddenly is just like, you know, oh, you're, you know, your sisters, you're a coven. I, I respect that or something. Scott's like, wasn't she just trying to eat them two seconds ago? Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, yeah, maybe. It's like, okay, yes, granted. It may be forced uh, as a forced Disney moment crammed into uh, what was about to be a child eating orgy. Um, so um, but yeah, but you know, in terms of just giving fans the first movie, what they want, which is just to see the Sanderson sisters back together, looking the same, um, sounding the same, you know, doing the same kind of humor and the same, you know, doing the funny walk, the three-way walk. And, you know, like, yeah, it gives, it gives fans what they want in that regard. And I think it's probably one of the more successful, um, sort of straight to streaming, uh, sequel franchisee knockoffs, uh, in recent memory. Uh, it's, it's yeah, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly pleasant. It, it's a little bit of a dragging it that it didn't go to theaters at all because I feel like it probably could have made a chunk of change. Right, um, we were thinking that as well. It's also like, it has some effects that I think would have been cool to see in the theater. Yeah, 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 for sure. But uh, but yeah, for me, it's a it's a consume. Yeah, it's a consume. It's a you know, it's a Friday night. Um, you're not going to see Bros. You're going to order some pizza and put up <laughs> some Halloween decorations. It's a movie to see, but exactly. um. I don't know that I would spend time on on it otherwise. Yeah. It is streaming on Disney Plus and it is rated PG. Our last movie this week is Catherine Called Birdie. In medieval England, the daughter of a financially destitute lord thwarts her father's plans to marry her off to a wealthy suitor. When the most vile suitor arrives, her parents' love for her is tested. Back to back, Lena Dunham movies. <laughs> Yes, when I suggested this movie, Rebecca, you were not overjoyed with the uh, you, memory. It was the day that the <laughs> Lena Dunham have tweeted, I, when I die, I want my hearse paraded through the New York City Pride Parade. <laughs> with, a, with, a, right, with, the, with the band that says, she may not have been for everyone, but she was for us. Yes. And, uh, and I sent you a funny tweet in response uh, of uh, <laughs> so someone saying, here's me driving Lena Dunham's hearse through Pride. And it was just somebody driving a car with like pride flags in front of them and just like a woman's body just like draped across the, the windshield. You know, I think uh, two of these movies 
um, we sort of did think about them in the context of their out of movie um, personas, right? So Bros was Billy Eichner before, Billy Eichner's response, Blonde, the interview with the director, Andrew Dominic. This one came out sort of at the same time as this tweet that we find incredibly problematic from Lena Dunham. So it seems kind of interesting that this is the one that was, for me, completely untouched by its real world um, director's (laughs) life. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this movie was because I had heard... I mean, of course, like, you know, for, for you, the memory of Sharp Stick is fresher than it was for me since you watched it much closer to the actual taping of the show than I did. Um, but like when this one started to make its film festival bows, you know, a month ago or whatever, it was like being very well received. And I was like, huh, well, how about that? Sharp Stick was just some weird thing. She had to get out of her system. And then she, you know, had this this like perfectly respectable, serviceable, uh, you know, uh, sort of YA adaptation of her sleeve. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that's, and that's, and that's what it is. Uh, apparently, so this is, I guess, a, an adaptation of a children's novel. Um, I was not familiar with it, but I guess Lena grew up reading it. So it has a lot of personal meaning for her. Um, having no familiarity with, with the, uh, the source material, you know, it definitely struck me how similar it is to stories like Jane Austen, mainly Jane Austen, really. Right. Um, you know, just in the sense that we're watching this sort of like a British period, uh, comedy about a you know young woman from a family who they're attempting to you know marry her off because of financial reasons and I say okay well this all feels very familiar except for it is significantly further back in history uh, than Jane Austen because this story takes place in the 13th century. Uh, it stars Bella Ramsey uh, who a lot of folks know from Game of Thrones uh, as the uh, the title character. We have Andrew Scott playing her dad, Billy Piper playing her mom. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really like, it's totally serviceable. I think I was actually thrown as I was watching it by how broad and accessible it was. Cause you don't expect that from Lena Dunham. You don't expect like a totally just easy to approach, very pleasant, very enjoyable kind of just like YA caper. You really just don't expect that from her. And like, Absolutely. does she, does she manage to work in a whole lot of stuff about menstrual blood? Yes. <laughs> um, she sure I mean, does. it is pivotal in this story, though. It is pretty important to. It is. It is. And like, if, if that's true in the book, I don't know. <laughs> Could she have invented it? Yes. Uh, you know, is there is there a whole lot in here about, uh, you know, the complexities of female reproductive health? A hundred percent. Um, maybe it's in the book, maybe it isn't. Uh, but it's certainly a significant topic that has affected Lena herself very personally. And uh, so, you know, all credit to her for making sure that it is a pivotal part of this story, because, you know, obviously for most of recorded history, uh, you know, female fronted stories like this did not acknowledge those parts of women's lives and bodies. So um, this one sure does. Uh, but it also keeps things just really light and fun. Uh, what, what did you think? Uh, I found this movie absolutely hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. So much so that like Soul left um, and then I paused it, rewound it and like had her watch the part again. This is like brief cameo by Russell Brand. But (laughs) just the the acting by Bella Ramsey, I hadn't seen Game of Thrones. um, Mm. Soul had and and she was like very happy to see someone who she thought was like a really great character. Oh, yeah. Kind of come and do this comedy uh, piece um, and just nail it. The timing, the the just kind of like way she breezes through these moments of being like, you know, a quote unquote, like difficult teenager, but right. with 
such charm and such humor. And I cried twice. Oh, wow. Andrew Scott, you know, hot priest really comes priest. through. Mm-hmm. Um, Very charming. I, if we still did pick of the weeks, this would hands down be mine. I, I want to watch yeah. it again. It was, it was, you know, the, the set pieces are beautiful. The costumes, um, it's, it's medieval, but like, also kind of like not over the top. It also feels like realistic in like the things that they have around their house. Um, uh, I really liked uh, Joe Alwyn who plays mm, uncle. Mm-hmm. They're just like unlikely relationships that are formed. Um, I, I just found this movie in charming and um, just sucked me in. And I think it is brilliant. I love it. Wow. And it's a YA think, movie. You got did me. You, did you ever think, yes, that a YA movie written and directed by Lena Dunham would no. be your pick of the week someday? And here we are. Loved yeah. it. Catherine Calverti absolutely loved it. Wow, wow, wow. Honestly, you're making me want to watch it again because I think I was so taken off. I was so just taken aback by how, as I was saying, like how easy it is and how light it is i kept like reading between the lines and kind of like doing too much of a close reading of what i was seeing i did also put subtitles on because i did have a hard time following the accents Mm -hmm. um but you know so yeah i think i was just it was just not i was not having the experience that you had yeah they're just like little like even physical comedy moments like with her and her um uh oh the caretaker governess yeah the governess stuff was hilarious just so funny um the, yeah, physical comedy-wise, the relationship with her brothers. Um, yeah, just the way they all talk about her um, yes. Yes. <laughs> is, is very, very funny. I, uh, I, I would watch a follow-up to this. I, I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it is It is a very, 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 very cute, very precious movie. And um, and shows that, yeah, that Lena Dunham, you know, actually is is a versatile storyteller, it turns out. Uh, because certainly her first, you know, we looking back at Tiny Furniture, Into Girls, Into mm-hmm. Sharp Stick, the, those are all three very much of a piece with one another, um, you know, in terms of just being these very, like, these very diaristic, very frank stories about young women in their early 20s who are going on journeys of, you know, sexual awakening and, and in some cases, degradation, uh, as we as you mentioned earlier, when you tied Sharp Stick to Blonde. Um yeah. And now and now we have this movie, which has, you know, it's about a much younger girl and in some ways it's about a sexual journey, but certainly not in the way her other stuff has been. You know, this is a movie that you can watch sort of like with the family. Uh, Whoever would have thought we'd have a family friendly Lena Dunham movie. Uh, This movie feels like looking at the list again, it feels like it takes different parts of these other movies, right? Like from Bros, it has this. The Billy Eichner as the Lena Dunham, which is like maybe kind of grating in real life, but also kind of funny and sometimes perceptive. You have Blonde, right? This, which already mentioned the story of mm-hmm. like sexual exploitation and, and difficulty navigating the world as a woman. You have Hocus Pocus being YA friendship based, uh, mm-hmm. figuring out how to be a good friend when you're jealous and uh, going through teenage troubles. But this one just comes off, I think. I think I was worried that Lena Dunham's insistence on herself would <laughs> come through in the main character, but as like, again, a sassy teenager, right. um, but that just the, the, the lead actress completely right. strips it of that and makes it, it makes her so relatable and fun. Yeah. 
And I think that's actually also part of why I put it on subtitles, because I want to appreciate the humor of, of Lena Dunham's dialogue, because like she is, she's a very funny dialogue writer, uh, you know, not in sharp stick, <laughs> certainly. Um, but in girls, like she just like her, her, her voice as a, as a comic writer is just so good. Mm-hmm. Uh and so I want to appreciate the ways because, like, clearly, you know, she's taking this this you know children's book set in medieval times, and you know, and she's very much putting her own comic personality into the dialogue, into the adaptation, but then also you know casting these this very gifted actors who, of course, bring it to life in their own way. So I was like, oh, I want to see like the actual words that she's writing, and yeah, like her yeah her dialogue is just so so funny uh, uh, in this in this movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, you're making me want to watch it again. Uh, watch it again. And I think this time now that you, you know, of course, keep the right, subtitles no, on, but like, it is. Yeah. watch more of the actress deliver the mm-hmm. lines. I think that yeah. really is what, what knocks it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I was definitely appreciating her. Oh, it's a binge it. It's a binge it. All right. Uh, I would say for me, it's a consume plus, but perhaps in second two, you'll become a binge it. <laughs> it's uh, streaming on prime video and it's rated PG 13. That's it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Binge. Very long um, episode. <laughs> it was a very long episode, but yeah. uh, we almost watched, had a fifth movie, but I, <laughs> Boy. <laughs> I knew that we would have enough to say. Yes, that was a good call. That was a good call. Um, what's next time? Who knows when it'll be? <laughs> Who can say? <laughs> it'll be at the exact time that we have scheduled it. And uh, You insist and, on the scheduling part that makes yeah. it feel like it's so unscheduled. <laughs> And if you guys want to know what that schedule is, just tweet us and we'll and we'll give you some kind of answer. Uh, but uh, but in the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.